We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the true crime review that digs into other podcasts, pop culture, and this week we'll talk about two podcasts told from voices not often heard in the true crime genre. First, we'll discuss a series of unsolved murders of gay men from a Toronto neighborhood in the latest investigative podcast from the CBC from Uncover called The Village. Then we'll talk about The Ballad of Billy Balls, a podcast with a punk rock sensibility. Join me to get that done and more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, and my favorite airport limo driver, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look at you just scrolling on your phone. Yeah, I'm just checking the tweets. Are you even with me right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, resident rage walker, and hit Patreon podcaster, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. That's me. Uh, it's just, I mean, I have new sunglasses because I'm such a famous person in Exeter now. I, I bet. I bet you have to like uh, not speak in your regular voice when you go places. I do. I have to be incognito now. <laughs> Finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. Hose off. <laughs> what does even that mean? What does that mean? Don't you know Bob Doug McKenzie? No. You don't know? Oh, yeah. my God. This is a McKenzie generational book. thing from e. SCTV. No. Drinking the beer, eh? Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Hose off, hoser. Oh, yes, 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 yes. You know what? I just, I didn't have cable for like most of my like young life. Mm. So, you know, you know. the 12 Days of Christmas? You mean like the holiday song? Of course I know that. Well, they did. They do one where it's like... And a beer in a tree, <laughs> five pounds of bat bacon, three French toast, two turtlenecks, and a beer in a tree. Well, I would rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy, right? Yes. Am I right? <laughs> Poetry. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. Obscure Canada reference. No, it's really good, and Sorry. I think it's appropriate given that we have so much Canadian content on the show this evening. And speaking of which, I have been told by our listeners that if we don't pronounce it Toronto, they're going to give us a ton of shit. So I'm just going to go on a limb and just say it, guys. Say Toronto. Do not pronounce a second T. You don't not, pronounce second T? Not if you're Toronto. Toronto. Not, not if you're from Toronto, you don't. Oh, it's like my hometown. 
It is. They say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. There's no eggs in Exeter. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Toronto, but if you're from there, you say Toronto. Toronto. Yes, Toronto. Toronto. Hey, you, know, you know what's right next to Toronto? Mississauga. Mississauga. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, Toby. You finally arrived. Are you going to say Detroit or as they call it, Detroit? (laughs) (laughs) No one calls it that, but it's funny. (laughs) Well, I just want to let our listeners know we've got a lot going on right now. I'm doing a ton of travel. I just flew in very late last night from Las Vegas from the NAB, National Association of Broadcasting Conference. Before that, Kevin and I were in uh, on a vacation, and then I'm going on another trip in two weeks, and then is the Bear Brook Five City Tour, mm-hmm. and a fun... Um, pop-up event that's actually happening tomorrow night as we tape this podcast. It's happening Tuesday night in Concord, New Hampshire at New Hampshire Public Radio. We're doing a fun Bear Brook pop-up event. So if you, if you poke online, I don't know if there'll be any seats left by the time this podcast drops, but feel free to look and of course check out the Bear Brook tour at the Bear Brook podcast website. You can meet me and many of the stops. I love meeting Crime Writers on listeners. In fact, when I was in Las Vegas, I had breakfast with a Crime Writers on listener for more than two hours and it was Who super Who wasn't fun. your husband? <laughs> it was not my husband. Sounds like a nice guy. It though. was Molly's husband. <laughs> oh yeah, Molly's our listener. <laughs> yes, yeah. So um yeah, it's been a really busy time. Kevin, have you been missing me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you doing? You're literally <laughs> literally scrolling Twitter right now. We are recording a podcast. Oh, you know that, right? I'm blasting my quads. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, you're like the chicken that insurance commercial. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And one other thing I wanted to mention, we've got a ton on Patreon right now if you're interested in signing up. We have the after show for this show that will drop at the same time as this show. So go there right now and you will hear us talk about many important things, including the latest development in the Anand Syed case and a maybe crazy theory that Colin Miller has about the motion to reconsider. About punctuation? Yes. Yep. We're also going to talk about a really big Maybe we thought for a second development in the Maura Murray case that happened that last burger? week. It was not a nothing burger, Kevin. We're going to talk about that okay. in the after show. And also in the after show, you can get exactly the same show that you're hearing now, except hosted by a man. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that's another true crime podcast that does that. That's someone else's Patreon. <laughs> uh, and finally, of course, you can get uh, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. We're going to be dropping another episode of that very soon. There's a new episode of Married with Podcast in your feed either today or tomorrow. And of course, Laura Bricker's Yet as Unnamed Charming AF podcast. Laura, does your new podcast have a name? Your new Patreon podcast. We're down to like three finalists. I don't know if I should announce the yes. names now. Yeah, the three us, finalists because so. they were all suggested okay. by listeners, right? They are all suggested. So the three finalists are uh, Northern Disclosure. Yes, that was suggested by my friend Katie. I love that one. Yeah, I like that one. I did like the original show. Uh, the Bricker Files. Oh, that's Kevin's pick. Yep. That's Kevin's pick. And I think my personal favorite so far is Leave It to Bricker. <laughs> 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 Which, when I was roaming around town this week, um, Dan with the good hair at the bookstore in town was like, oh my God, that's totally you. At the Water Street Bookstore? 
Yeah, he was like, leave it to Bricker to find out what's happening. Ha, ha, ha. <sighs> so um, we also might have some new theme music, too. Yeah, and I may actually <laughs> use different theme music than you picked, because I'm in charge of putting that shit together, Laura. But <laughs> yours is very good. Yours is very good. Okay. It is. Yeah, so it's fun. It's a lot of fun, and uh, we have lots of fun stuff coming up, um, including a second grader who really calls me out on some potential illegal behavior. Wow. Well, so stay tuned. You can get that if you're not cheap <laughs> and you join our patron at the $6 level instead of the $5 level. So don't be cheap. Pony up the extra buck and get the maybe leave it to Bricker podcast on our Patreon as well as all the other stuff. All right. Should we start the show, guys? Should we do it? I think we should. This content portion of our show. All right. Let's get into it. For years, a serial killer preyed on men in Toronto's gay village. Don't start killing at 66. You'd start killing when you're in your late teens or early 20s. Social scientists will tell you that. Police will tell you that. Common sense would tell you that. We're still looking at cold cases. There are a rash of murders from the 70s and 80s that remain unsolved. The Uncover podcast from the CBC, you might remember their first season, Escaping Nexium, is back with season three. Titled The Village, this podcast investigates a series of murders in Toronto's gay village. Police arrested a suspect in 2018 for some recent homicides, but host Justin Ling says gay residents of the village have been vanishing since the mid-1970s, with the police taking little notice. So this serial killer might be more prolific than we know. It's funny because you're kind of saying police back then were homophobic, but you're kind of admitting that you kind of were. Well, I'm admitting that the relationship was very, very strange. On that Tuesday afternoon, after I walked out of the police station, neither I nor any member of my family ever heard from the police again. Not once. Today, people are horrified of the possibility of being a serial killer and gay people being murdered. In the late 70s, it was not unusual. We are going to be revealing some plot points for the village during our discussion. So to remain spoiler free, just go to the time code listed in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review of this podcast. Now, Kevin, we remarked on this several times on our show when we talk about podcasts from our friends at the CBC. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a Canadian style of reporting and storytelling that is distinctive. Yes. We hear it in Missing and Murdered. We heard it in uh, Escaping Nexium. Someone Knows Something. Someone Knows Something, um, I think, is is Canadian in a different way, but yes. It's a very measured, and, and you described it in one of your notes as sort of like the classical music of podcasts. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, there's definitely a style, and it had to be pointed out to us after um, some trial and error and some friction with my many Canadian friends about <laughs> what is the Canadian style of storytelling. And it's it's much cleaner, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's, it's slower, mm-hmm. which isn't a bad thing, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like it because it's slower, you have to hate it. But it is a it is a different kind of style that it's not rushing to get all this stuff in your in your face and it's kind of letting things develop, if you will. And so you see this, particularly in this podcast, where a, a, you could do an awful lot of those first three episodes could get put into a single episode if someone else is doing it. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of the way that it, it they want to tell the story in this way and to make it more personal. Mm-hmm. You, you know, there's a lot more of bringing in other people like uh, the sister and the friend and the, you know, as opposed to just the detective. Right. You know, that, which is a direction a lot go. So you could definitely tell 
without being told ahead of time that this was a Canadian style podcast. Yeah, I will say, though, the one thing that some of the excellent shows we have talked about from the CBC have in common is that when you say it's a slower pace, I think you're talking about a more measured style of reporting, a Mm -hmm. more measured delivery. But it's not boring. This starts with the reveal that we're talking about a serial killer. Mm-hmm. It starts there. And we're in the place where, you know, a police search happened with a woman who knew the serial killer. And so in that way, it's very much like a thriller where you're sort of start in the climax and then go back to the beginning. Toby, do you enjoy this, uh, what we are calling the Canadian style of storytelling? Are you used to it? Do you like it? Do you like it more? Do you like it less? Because I know that you tend to sort of favor, you know, slightly drier, more measured things, I think, of the four of us. Well, I am slightly drier and more measured myself. <laughs> True. Can't argue with that. <laughs> Uncovered. Uh, ball. Yeah, I guess I guess the only thing I would add to that is uh and I don't know if it's true with everyone, but like um somebody knows something uh, season two was the same way, spending some time to create a sense of place, not even just like sort of physically, but but sort of what the place is like, like the people and things like that. So I kind of felt like in some ways, like it's this is true crime, but compared to most of the other things that we listen to, like it feels like less time is actually spent on the crime stuff and more stuff time is spent on the gay community in Toronto and some of the people who are in it and the relations they had with the police which I, I think is is pretty interesting, but it, it does go. I mean, the, the pace is definitely different, you know, especially when we compare it to, I think, the Ballad of Billy Balls, which is a completely different tempo. But I, yeah, I, I like it. I think it's fine. And part of it is the stories they tell about the, the people who are eventually the victims mm. and hearing from their friends and sort of the effect that the victims, you know, first disappearing and then and then turning up dead. Uh, has on their friends and then the community as a whole, I, I thought was very affecting. Laura, now you did like the lead to this podcast very much, right? I did, yeah, because I, yeah, you know, as I was listening to it and I was listening to the woman and I, I can't remember her name, the one that let um, Bruce store his tools at her place, Ugh. and she's kind of talking about the people that were there and everything, and then we fast forward and they announce they found the bodies, and I was like. I was walking on the track at the Y and I was like, oh shit, tell me they didn't find them in the garden. And they're like, they were buried in the garden. I'm like, no, because it just, the setup was so perfect. It was just like, it was laid out in such a way that you could come to that conclusion. But the way that you were able to come to that conclusion actually made the storytelling that much better um, because you sort of anticipated that that was what was going to happen. And then it didn't. You're like, oh, my God. (laughs) They were, And there was – I feel like there was like a movie that – I don't know. There's been books where I've read where people have buried people in the garden out back and stuff. And um, it, it definitely had that sort of novel sort of element to it. To me, this story reminds me a lot of the John Wayne Gacy movie, To Catch a Killer, Mm -hmm. except it's made in 2019 and not in the 80s, I think, when that film, that super scary, by the way, film was made starring Brian Dennehy, because it is about a community of people where the victims could be marginalized and forgotten to some extent. And it's also about a very prolific serial killer I think I think that's where this is going I have not done a ton of readings I have actually wanted to spoil myself and him 
using his job and the way he interacts with people in order to get away with his crimes, which is similar to what John Wayne Gacy did. He worked in construction. And of course, he buried a lot of his victims in his own property and also in his basement. But like his, you know, uh, he, he would hire these young men to like work for him ostensibly and then kill them. And, you know, one of the things that's super interesting about this podcast, and I think it really benefits from, is that Justin Ling is himself gay and is a part of the community uh, around which he's reporting. Of course, some of these murders happen happened several years ago, but we are hearing them through the lens of somebody who can understand, I think, the perspective of the victims and the perspective of the community surrounding the victims. And it's not to say he's biased. It's just that when he tells you things about this community, you trust and believe him. He doesn't have to bend over backwards telling you why he's telling it. I just sort of get a sense he's a great concierge for the story. Laura, do you think a story like this benefits uh, when somebody is telling it and they're actually part of the community that it's coming from? I do, because obviously that person, you know, he's familiar with this community, but at the same time, already being connected gives him sort of a leg up in terms of not having to gain the trust of the people that he's interviewing. So these people probably already trust him. They already know that he understands the scene, understands the people, understands, uh, you know, the lay of the land. And so I think going in with that background, you know, gives you that access that you might not have if you were somebody that was coming in and having to build relationships from the start and not already having relationships with people that lived there. Yeah, it's probably more important to the subjects than it is to the listener. It probably gets better yeah. tape from the subjects for sure, right? Yeah, as Laura says, yeah, if, if you can make that connection in that relationship and that there's a sense of trust, right? You know, yeah. I think I'm sure there were people that uh, that he talked to that like wanted to talk to somebody they felt would do justice to their story, right? And not just because it's easy to make this very exploitive, right? You know, maybe not in Toronto. Yep. Uh, that you would not expect that. But I mean, if you imagine that this uh, were a story happening in, a, in an American community, right, where us crazy, greasy American reporters would come along, yeah, that, that'd be very easy to sort of devolve into cliche. You actually bring up a good point, Kevin, because Justin, in addition to coming from this community, was reporting this before they caught Bruce MacArthur, yeah, the serial right. killer. Yep, yep. He makes that clear. He was. They saw him at the police uh, He was trying to investigate. Yeah. I mean, my assumption is, and I don't know if he says this explicitly, is he was trying to draw a line to see if this was a serial killer yeah. or if there was a connection. And he, you know, we Or heard, is this just a hunting ground? Yeah. Which is another fascinating- A whole different story. That's and, a whole terrifying And, and, and story. that kind of ties it yeah. to Connie Walker's reporting, the missing and murdered, sort of like communities mm-hmm. where people go missing and the police don't do enough. And this, was, this is the story he was telling. And then we hear him saying he was in his apartment with his partner and he was like, hey, did you see this guy was arrested for all these murders? So not only he's a part of the community, but he's not just covering the story for a podcast. He's the right reporter to do it. I think that makes a huge he difference. He didn't parachute in. No, I think I think it makes a huge difference. Now, Toby, another aspect I think to this that this makes it more interesting to me, and you know, you talk about sort of like the need for representation in these stories, is that many of the gay men who were murdered, especially the first few victims we hear about in the podcast, were also men of color and they were immigrants. It just makes you realize how few of these kinds of stories we are getting still in 2019 in these podcasts. It seems like there's several things going on here, which one is Bruce MacArthur. He knew who was going to get, um, you know, attention. Right. And then so you've got the gay community, which is marginalized. And then you've got the immigrant community, which is also marginalized. And I guess you combine the two and there's even more marginalized. And then, like, I don't know how much he could have known about this, but 
at least two of them, you know, had families and they're doing this kind of on the side, you know? So that I think provides even more kind of cover because there's, you know, the families just don't know, they don't have any idea actually where they're, you know, the missing person would have been, you know, they think they're working late or doing something else. It's tough and it's a different marginalized community than, you know, the marginalized communities we often hear about. One scene that really kind of stuck out to me was when they're having a meeting and I think a cop asks, you know, has anybody out here ever been, you know, attacked or or whatever? I remember the question was asked of the audience, have you ever been assaulted or do you ever feel unsafe? <laughs> and I think, I think it was a show of hands if you've ever felt unsafe or if you've ever been assaulted. And It was actually a laugh like the one I just did that went around the room. Everybody raised their hands, right? Everybody in the room has, has experienced a physical and or sexual assault. And not just sometime in the past, but in the recent past. Yeah. And that was a a clear area where there was a lack of understanding of the, the nature of the community. So, um, yeah, that was a telling moment. I wasn't really expecting it, but I, I did find it to be, there's a lot of like pretty affecting parts mm. of this, I think, which I think is sort of the strength of this podcast. I agree. I think listening to it, I mean, here's the thing. It's 2019, and we are all old enough to know that being gay in 2019 is a lot easier than it was when we were growing up. And I heard a lot of things in this podcast that didn't surprise me at all. People showing up at gay pride parades and jeering and throwing things and being a mob and uh, harassing people marching in the parade. I hear, you know, the, the branding of these murders as, quote, gay murders on the news and by cops. Not particularly surprised, not particularly surprised that the police didn't take this stuff seriously, not particularly surprised that people would say things like, well, he had it coming. Like, what is he doing acting like that? Mm -hmm. You know, cruising, picking up men, whatever. This is all in very recent history. Um, And I'm not saying it's great now. If I were gay in 2019 in America, especially right now in America, I'd be super fucking pissed off at making all these gains and then seeing them try to be pulled back. Mm -hmm. But I do think that hearing the story in 2019, I was surprised at how much I was affected by all the stories of discrimination we hear because I remember them so well and, and I still found them incredibly moving. And, you know, you made a comment, Kevin, we were talking about this podcast earlier today that like we meet like a lot of interesting people. Right. right. Yep. More interesting people than we met in the podcast we reviewed last week where you sort of said, like, he talks to a bunch of people, but none of them are interesting. Right. Yeah. Like everyone we meet in this, the woman who owns the garden, the um, the guy who was a friend of one of the victims who went on to become an Episcopal priest who then became a politician. Like everybody has a story. Yeah. And not all of them are characters in the sense that you could say, oh, that guy's a character. But Justin's able to sort of dig down and to show you interesting things about the people so that you find them interesting and you care about them. And, you know, so, yeah, it's it's somebody's sister of a guy who was killed 40 years ago. Yeah. That's really interesting. And he brings he he brings her personality and brings it out and also brings her her emotions out and her pain. And you can you can empathize with her, uh, even though you might say, oh, wow, but that was so long ago. Well. He's able to present it to you in a way where you see, like, oh, how fresh it is. Yeah. Now, Laura, you know, people complain a lot about true crime storytelling, that not not enough time is spent with the victims. Mm -hmm. And Justin spends a lot of time with the victims, like that story that Kevin was just referencing. You know, we hear all about that guy, how he lived in Germany because he Mm -hmm. couldn't come out in in Canada. And then he had to come back because his visa problems and then how... And, you know, she really lays out this whole story. And he does this with 
every victim that we've heard about so far. Do you think the story benefits from that? I do, because I think, you know, as you're sort of trying to figure out what made these people targets. And then also what made these people either not people that would have been reported as missing, um, that, that, that wouldn't have been flagged as suddenly not showing up to work or something. You know, I think it definitely added another layer to the story in terms of humanizing what was happening, but also, you know, adding that layer to the gay scene in Toronto where the people that knew them were talking about their frustrations with why wasn't this being pursued? And then you're feeling, you know, going along with them and, and you know, empathizing. I was, you know, at least empathizing with like, yeah, what the, what the fuck? Like, why aren't the cops doing something? And then you find out, oh, the cops were actually, but they weren't actually saying they were doing anything. But but knowing the background of these these men definitely added another layer where you're you're feeling more invested in the story as you're listening, I think. Now, we get um, in the last episode that we heard before we taped this podcast, we have Justin going back to the 70s and looking at a series of murders in the 70s that may or may not be connected to Bruce MacArthur's more contemporary murders. Listening to that, I sort of thought like... Is he just trying to show that this is a pattern of just like, you know, gay men being attacked and and murdered and nobody caring? Or is he trying to draw that line that those crimes could have been committed? And then this episode that we just listened to before recording this podcast ends on a cliffhanger that intimates it might be. Kevin, what do you think at this point about that? Well, the description of the tall guy six... Which, Five, could, which six, couldn't seven. have been him. Yeah, couldn't this, have the been smelly him. guy. Smelly guy. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how that that detail sticks out? When you hear somebody is smelly, it's all you can I've think about. I've never heard that in a be on the lookout for. <laughs> uh, suspect is uh, smelly. He smells bad. Uh, you know, His like, body odor is body especially is, bad. Uh, I don't know, Chief. He took a shower and we lost him. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, just, it just occurred to me when we were talking about this that you know they make the arrest of MacArthur and he's I think they said sixty six. Yeah. And someone makes the point, yeah, you don't just start killing when you're 66. And like, okay, well, yeah, that's true. That's probably true. If you've got guys from this neighborhood missing f- since the 70s, like 23 of them, then I mean, it's one of two things. It's either the same person who's doing it or you've got different people who found this as a place where they can hunt people. Right. And both of them are super fascinating. The, and I, I thought about if it's if it's just MacArthur, you know, maybe one murder is somebody else. But if, if he is predominantly the killer of all these people through all these years, I'm trying to think of, you know, when we've ever captured a serial killer that old. The yeah, Golden that, like, State Killer. No, but someone's still actively killing. Oh, yeah. Well, John someone's, Wayne Gacy. That's what I mean. Still actively John killing. John Wayne Gacy was actively killing. You know, it's so. At this, but it's rare, right? It it's is rare, rare. because uh, they, I don't want to say they flame out, but because yeah, they, they escalate and they end up getting caught or they go to jail for something else. Or they and that's move why on. they stop. They, 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 move they, on. they quote, settle down. Yeah. Right. But John Wayne Gacy was actively killing when he was caught. And the way that he was caught. And by the way, I, I think I've talked about this in the show before that movie To Catch a Killer, that super creepy 1980s made for TV movie. The way that they caught him was they knew he was doing it and they just sat on him. They sat outside his house. They like kept him close so that he couldn't kill. 
and not being able to kill like really riled him up and that's uh-huh. how they ended up getting him to confess it's bananas but this guy I don't know if you guys looked up his picture um, he looks like your kindly grandfather and then I found out it's even worse than you think because he's the mall Santa oh, so, oh, oh yes. dear god I remember these headlines yeah dear so god. I looked it up and I was like oh no wonder this guy kind of I mean not to stereotype but he kind of flew under the radar he doesn't look threatening he's like this this like kind of like kindly looking old guy who looks like santa like i'm like oh my god oh yeah so um anyway (laughs) that's the last time i go to the mall (laughs) yeah so laura Laura, do you think that we're gonna i mean i don't know if you've how much you've googled but do you think that these 70s murders are connected to these more contemporary murders well the way that the story was going i kind of wondered because it did seem plausible in listening to it that the fact that he just started killing when he was, you know, in 2010 at the age he was at, that didn't really seem to gel with what we've talked about and, and learned about before with people that are serial killers. Um, whether or not they're going to be able to prove those old cases, I don't know. But it, it definitely made me think because it definitely, you know, as you're listening to it, you're like, yeah, it does make sense. Like, the the way that it was carried out seems sort of not to fit with somebody just starting out of the blue when they're, you know, later in life. Like, oh, now I think I'm going to be a serial killer. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to start hanging out in gay bars and killing people. It, it just seems like there must have been something in the background more than what we know so far that sort of led to this, like, point of escalation. Toby, what do you think? Do you think we're going to learn that these 70s killings were connected, or is this going to be just a left turn in the podcast that it's not going to be resolved? You know, just the way the podcast is structured, I would have to think that he's going to try to make that case. I mean, it'd be sort of strange to get to this point and then just start talking about something completely different. But it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Well, we have two Canadian podcasts uh, here on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of getting answers. We have... Someone knows something the first season in which we got no, no resolution. Yeah. And then we got Missing and Murdered Finding Cleo in which like in episode four, like, oh, my God, she found Cleo. Mm-hmm. So I to me, if even if it ends up somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. it, that feels like landing the plane to me in a way. It's like certainly something that Canadian podcasts seem to have a better track record at just generally. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's just give our listeners a thumbs up or thumbs down review of Uncover the Village. This is the uh, third season of the new CBC podcast. The second season was about a plane crash. And now this season, of course, is about a serial killer uh, preying on gay men in Toronto's gay village. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Uncover the Village? I'm going thumbs up. I, I really like this podcast. I like the audio quality. I liked the interviews. I liked the people they talked to. I also felt like this was the type of crime that maybe, you know, should have a little bit more light shed on it because this is sort of a marginalized community. And when you hear some of the biases of the police who are initially investigating it, um, maybe didn't take it seriously. I feel like, you know, I'm glad that it's getting a lot more attention now. What about you, Toby? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Uncover the Village from the CBC? I give it a thumbs up. I mean, I, I think it's it's really well done. You know, it's sort of sadder in tone, I think, than most of what we listen to. And I, I think in that way, it's a little bit more like S Town. But yeah, I think I think it's good. I really, really love this podcast. I listened to it on my trip, and it was one of those 
podcast where I found myself walking around the block a little bit so I wouldn't have to stop listening before I had to go indoors and take my headphones out. And that's <laughs> always a good sign. I really love Justin Ling. I think he's a really great voice and a very good reporter. He actually reminds me a lot of my friend Ben Frisch, who works at Slate. His vocal quality, I mean, is very similar. So maybe that lent to it. I felt like I was listening to a friend <laughs> reporting this mm-hmm. story to me. But I also, it feels like he has the right background, not in terms of, of, you know, being queer in Toronto, but in terms of having been the one to be looking into this story for so long and then bringing it to us after something happened. I'm so glad he's the one doing this and not some other reporter who got it after the guy was caught and was like, oh, this would be a great podcast. I just think it's super well done. And Kevin, you used an adjective that is exactly right for this. It is clean. This is a clean story. The audio is clean. The quality is is smooth. And it's very deliberate and contemplative. And I really, really like it. And I can't wait to hear what the next episode brings. What about you, Kevin? I'm a thumbs up marginally. It's it's good. Um, it's very competent and, you know, like, yeah, put together very smoothly. But it's, I'm not excited about it, um, you know. So uh, again, I, I I want to praise and recognize my Canadian brothers and sisters <laughs> who opened my eyes to the quality of Canadian storytelling and the it's, pronunciation of Toronto. Toronto, uh, <laughs> and I'm cool with that. I think I think it's good, and I and I am interested in how this story turns out because whereas you think that it's the story is over because they have a guy who pleads guilty. There's still a lot more to learn about what is going on in the village. And Toby, I think he's on the right track. And I think the tell is the title. This isn't called The Gardener. This is called The Village. Yeah. So the, the narrative focus ought to be on the community, the yeah, village. the place. And so, yeah. So I think that that's where it's going. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Moving on. Crime Town Presents is back with a new series about true love 
and true crime. The Ballad of Billy Balls is a hit podcast that looks at the mysterious death of a New York punk era musician told mostly through the eyes of his long devoted and troubled girlfriend, Rebecca. In the mid 70s, Rebecca was a struggling model in New York. You think I'm pretty, huh? You think I'm pretty? My whole life is a failure. And then... Everybody thinks I'm going to die before I'm 30, you know? She met a musician. That's the truth! Named Boy. Billy Balls. Rebecca and Billy fell deeply in love. I'm like in a hypnotic trance when you are around. You have this hypnotic power over me. And sugar, it's bigger than the boat is. They were the only ones in the world for each other. They were inseparable. Host Io Tillett Wright takes us on a personal journey filled with style and attitude. The audience is left to wonder if we'll ever know why Billy met his fate and whether the great love of Rebecca's life is at all what she remembers him to be. We are going to be talking about plot points for the Ballad of Billy Balls. So to remain spoiler free, go to the time code listed in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review of this podcast. So, Kevin, the format and the sound of this podcast really sticks out. It's highly stylized. There's a lot of music, mm-hmm. high yep. production value. Yep. Um, we also have a host with a voice we don't often hear in podcasts. Io identifies and says, I go to the, by the pronouns, he and him. And yet I think a lot of listeners could come to this and think that they're listening to a female narrator of the podcast. Mm -hmm. I find that to be such a refreshing thing to happen in this space where I think diversity of voices is so important. And it was one of the things about the podcast that really just got me right away where I was like, this is the right person to be telling the story. But also it's a person that we don't often hear from in these stories. Yeah. One of the things that when I heard the trailer that drew me to ballad of billy balls was that it did you could tell it had the attitude you know that bronus but it didn't sound like it was another bro doing it right oh this would be an interesting perspective and then it just it just became even more rich we don't hear those voices in mainstream true crime and it's i think it's worth noting that i think that that's significant and it's also important because it is it's a personal journey for him and so i think that that his his experiences are relevant to this uh, this mystery. By the way, I don't think it's less bro <laughs> because I always, in fact, to him. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we can't say it's less okay, bro sure, because sure. of that. Because it is a very, to me, it's very crime town, which is a very masculine sounding show. Let's just be real. Mm-hmm. Thumping drums, hard driving music, a lot of audio production. I have seen some criticism of this show, including in the reviews of the show on, on uh, Apple Podcasts, that it's overproduced that there's just a lot going on audio wise laura since you are now a person who comments on audio production every time we do the show which by the way congratulations you've now become a nerd what do you think about the audio production style of this show is it too much for you or do you like it you know what in another type of show it might be too much but i think where we're dealing with the music world and we're dealing with sort of this punk scene in new york I feel like the the type of production and the type of music that we're hearing with this show actually really complements it. And somebody who's tried to just put like one little music bit with my little podcast, it's well done. 
Laura's right because it's sort of the sensibility of the show. I'm thinking back to when we did Disgraceland. You know, the one knock I had about Disgraceland was that it didn't seem like the music matched up with the stories about musicians. And even if you couldn't um, acquire the actual songs because of needle drop fees and things like that, that just you know got in the way of a, a, a you know a, a novice podcaster's development and production. You know, you could have had music that was uh, similar to or evocative of a certain right. era. So I think, yeah, you're right. You know, to have this music come in and to have this attitude and to swear a lot, I think, is a sort of a punk sensibility, which would be conspicuous if you didn't have it. Right. I think. Well, it's punk, but it also sounds contemporary. But the one thing I want to say, one thing we didn't mention about The Village, which I loved, is they did actually use the music that they talked about in the podcast. When they'd have a person talking about the song they were hearing when something happened. Little Elton John. You heard that song. And I have to tell you, like, I know it's an investment to do that. It's either a risk or an investment. It's one of the two. You either, like, shouldn't be doing it and you do, and that's a risk. You know, because, by the way, there are copyright laws. If you're doing criticism commentary, you can maybe do it. But if you're just saying a song name, like, you can't necessarily do it. But I appreciate those atmospheric... Because it does help. It helps you get pulled in. Toby, I heard you make a noise when Kevin was talking about the sensibility and the sound of the podcast. Sounds like it might have been too much for you. Am I guessing wrong here? It seemed like a little much. But then I also, you know, the the music that they play very prominently, this like weird keyboard with a guy singing. From Crime Town, I'm Io Tillett-Wright. And this is The Ballad of Billy Balls. That doesn't sound at all like any of the stuff they played that's actually by Billy Balls. You know, their theme music or whatever seems quite different than sort of the punkish type stuff that that he played. Maybe this it's something else that he was involved in, but... I did kind of thought there was like this kind of weird disconnect between those two things. Cause mm-hmm. when you actually hear him playing, it's a lot more sort of raw and less produced. Right. But do you really want to hear that for as long as you have to hear this music that's in this podcast? <laughs> but, it, but it's weird because they do have like, it's a very distinctive sound, right? right? right. That their little theme thing, it's distinctive, but not in a way that has anything to do with Billy Ball's music. Yeah. So, so that, you know, I don't know, whatever. It's, it's not that big a deal. I, I guess I kind of like it, though, because it sounds to me like Io. It sounds like it really goes with his delivery. It's contemporary and it's edgy. It, it works like sonically. Like I, I do appreciate a good sonic landscape for a podcast. I try to create them for the shows that I create. I think it works even though it's not the same. Toby's right. It's kind of like a knife's edge. Where you're right there, it could go either way, right? And so, and I it's think probably it's not a, that important, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, but I think it's an artist's choice, and it's and it's a taste, and where it, it might be, you can you can uh, execute it perfectly, and it's still not going to be somebody's cup of tea. One but, thing that I want to ask you guys about before we get to the story and Rebecca and all the stuff that happens is the sense of place, because we talked about that a little bit in our previous conversation about the village, Lower East Side, New York City, 1970s, and then we hear, you know. Well, we'll talk about that in a second, about Io's own experiences. But, like, the scene, living in a storefront, you know, sort of squatting on couches, moving there from other places. And it's just the Lower East Side to this day. It's like, you know, a a pocket of Manhattan that is unique and interesting. And even though it has become much more gentrified, there are still more, 
you know, rent controlled housing down there. It's a very diverse part of New York where you can walk around and feel like you still see real people. Kevin, I'll never forget you and I went to a wedding on the Lower East Side. We went mm-hmm. to a super dive bar, the kind of dive bar that like is, does not exist really anywhere else in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Where like the beer was two dollars, and they had a vending machine that the only prize inside of it was um, Holland Oats lapel pins. Oh, I remember that. which were just random. Yeah. <laughs> like this was not a Holland Oats bar; it was like a really gritty bar. But like everything was, it was like it's weird. That's Lower East Side. Yeah, and I think the sense of place comes across, and that story about the grand piano and CBGBs is part of that. I love that. I love it. I think it's just really good and. It's certainly not a scene we've heard in any other podcast. Think about the places we've been taken by other podcasts. L.A., you know, yeah. small towns, you know, the South, whatever. We've never been taken to Lower East Side Manhattan before. It's a different New York than we had in Convicted, for example. Absolutely. For example. Laura, did it feel like Mars to you when you were hearing these stories? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, this, was, <laughs> this was not where we went on the Boy Scout camp out. But I, I loved the description of, you know, Rebecca moving in with the porn stars living next door. <laughs> <laughs> and the next little abandoned office was a pair, a little teenage pair, a little white girl and a little black boy that were porn workers. And he would wear his bathrobe, you know? <laughs> and that's where, one weekend, a man showed up named Billy Balls. But it definitely did take you to a different sort of place. Like you, I, I really felt transported when I listened to this podcast in terms of the people they interviewed, the scene they described, combined with the music that they played as they were doing this. It really had a whole effect of really setting a scene in a different way that we have. I mean, I haven't felt in a while listening to a podcast. Well, now let's just get to the main event because we've been dancing around it a little bit in the last couple minutes. I was our reporter, but his primary interview is with our narrator, who's sort of filling in a lot of the details of the story, and that is Rebecca, who might be the most unreliable narrator we've ever had in a podcast, <laughs> filling in details for us ever. Right, Kevin? Yeah, probably up there with John McElmore from S-Town. Yeah. Although I think John McElmore was more full of shit, <laughs> right? Yeah. In a, I say it in an endearing way, uh, where I think Rebecca... Her descriptions of things, it's like a Goldilocks thing where it doesn't seem just right. Hmm. Where she certainly seems like she's sure of herself. But, yeah, you know, it's like, is she self-delusional? Does she just remember these things wrong? Is she completely correct? It's 35 correct? years ago. It's 35 years ago, yeah. Right. And I, but do you think he had, like, meat hooks in his chest when he was in the hospital? Literal meat hooks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably not. That, that was like, okay, well, what what, what are we actually that, hearing here? That yeah. was a little weird. <laughs> All right, so this is, a com- this is a complicated character we're talking about. Now, I'm just going to mention it now because it is the big reveal we get at the end of episode two. We are in the spoiler section. And of this, I will yeah. say... I believe that the first two episodes should have been one episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is a barrier to get through two episodes of backstory to get this really astonishing and interesting and unusual reveal that the reporter of this story is the child of the main character in the story. It turns out Io, our narrator, is Rebecca's kid. I remember just the raw feeling of the the fucking pain of the grief. And I would like to not remember that feeling because the only thing that stopped it was you being born. 
right. Rebecca did have a baby. Me. It sounds like we all agree that that first setup maybe was a bit too long. Yeah, because it was a great twist. It was a great twist. I I do think there, and I I get it, I think there was care there where the producers were trying to just really get us invested in Rebecca's character because she comes off as an unusual person in myriad ways. We hear how she lives. We hear how she looks. We hear how she talks. She won't sit down. We sort of hear her, what her sensibility is, and maybe they were thinking like we should spend more time with her to get the audience to feel something thing but i do think the twist overcomes that and like you get there when you hear io talking to his mom i love you so much i love you so much my bud my golden orange bud so toby rebecca as a character we can't not talk about how like she is just sort of a standout and a puzzle right yeah i mean she's definitely like she's a character she's eccentric you know, I think between her and then Io, you get a sense of the fact that, you know, she's had some mental illness problems in the past. She's had substance abuse problems in the past, but she's <laughs> she's got she's got a very uh, sort of strong and interesting way of talking. It's a little bit hard to figure out how much of it is like literally true. But she does a good job of giving you a sense of maybe more what it was like to be perceiving living in that situation rather than exactly like what the day-to-day was. It goes on pretty long. But she's – I found her fairly appealing. Like she seemed like she'd be kind of fun to like sit down and have a coffee with and just say, you know, but tell me about – she wouldn't sit down for the coffee, but she right. might stand with you for the coffee. I'm just going to exactly. tell you, I feel exactly like Toby does in that regard. I loved her. I loved her. Not yeah. Just yeah. Her it's just like, just tell me some stories. Just to interject one thing here that Io did reach out to us when he found out we were reviewing his podcast. Obviously, we hadn't done this yet, but he'd been getting some flack on the socials saying that his mom sounded like she was on drugs. Are you a person who says the socials now? I'm saying that calling the socials. <laughs> okay. I'm even going to like unbutton. Can you say online? Time. Online. <laughs> well, people think that she's stoned or she's strung, strung out. out or drunk. And he says she's been sober for 11 years, as far as he's as far as I know. Yeah. And that's just sort of the way that she talks. Yeah. And yeah, does she without seeing or not knowing what she's she had looks a hard like? Life. It's well, it's it's radio, so you hear a voice and you create a portrait in your head of that. That's just sort of the nature of the medium. So yeah, I could see why people would think that. Well, also, Io describes her as having like muscle on bone, like the sinewiness. And then when you look yeah. at the photos, like you, you nailed it. You yeah. see it, right? But and what she has is a vulnerability. Yes, which I think is the power of the plot, because if the idea here is Io is going to find out what happened to Billy Balls for his mother, because he has he has to give her the closure or the understanding. The consequence of not being able to do it is her frailty. Yeah. I mean, we we know that she's, in that way, not strong. Strong in all these other ways. She talks about Billy like he's still alive. She just talked yesterday. Yeah. This has been, like, decades. And she talks about, like, she looks at a picture, she's like, he's so sexy. I'm like, she talks about it like she saw him yesterday. So as opposed to just, I'm going out for this curiosity. Yeah. It's like, if I can bring this back, I can heal my mother's wound about this in a way. And that's what's emotionally interesting. Laura, did you see that twist coming that Rebecca was Io's mother? Absolutely not. 
No, because um, I had kind of been lulled into this sort of sense of like almost like hypnosis by listening to Rebecca talk. And I was like, I was like, OK, enough. Let's move on. Because it was it was like the first episode was OK. The second episode, I was like, oh, my God, she's still talking. And then all of a sudden I was like, whoa, where did that come from when we had the sudden twist? <laughs> so I was I was very surprised by that. But I think it just definitely made it a little more interesting as it went on to throw that twist in there when they did. I just feel like that the first and second episode was just a little bit too long for well, me. Well, it's funny because I, I you know, I've, I said that. I agree with you. I think they should have connected them yeah. to one. But when you get the twist, you realize why they did it in two episodes. Yeah. Oh, no, it makes sense. And so sense. it was it sort sense. of like retroactive forgiveness. However, yes. I think that in, the, in this medium, if you're not going to do just like a, a binge drop, if you're going to do week by week or whatever, you got to like think about that and think about mm-hmm. the build that you're going to do before the oh shit moment. Like you got to be thoughtful about it. And that is my like one criticism of this podcast, which was otherwise to me just like super fucking interesting in like a hundred different ways. So the one thing that I keep thinking about about this podcast, it has a promise here. Uh, before even we know that Rebecca is Io's mom, he tells us he's going to, he wants to find out what happened to Billy. And my thing is, is that even possible at this point, given yeah. not just Rebecca's unreliability, but also the unreliability of other characters that were in the story at that time, who all seem to have theories about the shooter being an undercover cop and we know there's drugs involved, we know and all that stuff to me is like quasi believable in a way. But do you think we're going to get answers here, Laura? What do you think? No, uh, but I did love that they were buying drugs for the diplomat. I was like, this is <laughs> That's a great story. Interesting. <laughs> for his orgy. Um, <laughs> an international orgy. Oh, sex with masks. Kevin's favorite thing. Oh, God it, it reminded me of, we have a guy in town who lived like a double life for a long time. He's now like in his 90s, but he was like a dry cleaner by day. And then he was a male model in New York. And he used to tell stories like this about New York. Is about when he'd bar? go down. Yeah. Okay. You met him. And so I was listening to this. I'm like, yeah, this sounds totally plausible. But as I was listening to it, I was like, you know, I feel like that was sort of the premise of this podcast when we get sucked in is like, um, we're going to find out what happened to Billy Balls for Rebecca for his baby girl. And I'm like, no, I think this is more like a journey of sort of personal discovery in terms of, you know, trying to find out a little bit more about his mother's life and Billy's life and what happened. But I'm like, nobody knows what the hell happened because like, honestly, not to be, you know, but at the time that all this was going on, a lot of these people weren't totally um, sober <laughs> at the time period that this happened. And it was a long time ago. And like, honestly, the police aren't still around. Like, we haven't heard from any of the police um, or any anybody official at this point. We've just heard from sort of random sort of interesting people um, that were involved. I loved the the person we heard from who, you know, had had the whole theory, the one that was buying the drugs and stuff. But I don't know. I'd be excited, I guess, if we found out, but I don't think I'm going into it now expecting that I'm going to find out. Toby, I was thinking when I was listening to this, you know, Io tells the story of his own childhood and it sounded like it was super rough, right? At one point we hear a detail about Billy, which we'll get to in a second, and his high school friends who I fucking loved all those dudes talking about how he was arrested by the FBI when he was 15 and I was like, man, you know, I used to sell aspirin and pretend it was ecstasy or whatever. So we know that there's some tough stuff there that this reporter who's doing this story contended with growing up. Do you think this story might be a way for Io to reconcile his own 
child. I mean, his, his mom basically lived with a ghost during his whole childhood. He says that there was never a time he didn't know him. And in fact, his mother tried to convince him that he's the reincarnation of her dead boyfriend. The timing is eerie. The timing is very eerie. Because there's some spirit floating around that just needs a little human body to crawl into. And I, you and I know who that spirit is. That would be fucking crazy. So it's actually trying to find out more about the person who you are reincarnated from? I don't think that Io literally thinks... I don't think that's he's his a reincarnation thesis of this. No, but I do think he's using that as a way in to tell the story. Like, my mom always told me this, so I'm going to go in that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think in sort of a metaphorical sense that Billy was probably, you know, a presence in his life growing up because Billy was so, you know, at least seems in the in the telling to be pretty omnipresent in, in Rebecca's life. So, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's valid. It, it's a little bit weird... To me, that that it's a podcast in some ways, and that it seems so personal that you know he's doing this for his mom and trying to get her some closure. You know, you kind of hope it turns out <laughs> because if the fear is that it, it's not going to give Rebecca closure, like having it not give her closure in this very public way seems a little weird. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, Toby, just quick note: you did say in your notes to me. I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy is true poetry. Was that a sarcastic <laughs> note or was that a real note? No, well, I don't know if it's like up there with, you know, Shakespeare, but it's it's a great punk line. It's a very good punk like, line. I, if, if I'd written it, I'd be happy. Kevin, one thing I found myself thinking over and over and over again listening to this podcast is how did this come to be? The was podcast? It, yeah. Was Io's original pitch? Because it's obviously Io's pitch, right? Yeah. It's a story that only Io could tell because only Io has access to Rebecca, who still lives in the margins, it sounds like. Uh-huh. I found myself wondering this whole time, like, where does Rebecca buy clothes? Where does Rebecca live now? Where does she get money? Like, I don't know any of those answers, right? This is a story that only he can tell. And is the pitch that this was originally going to be, you know, something and then it became a podcast? Like, I would just love to know the path for how this came together, because it's just so freaking unusual. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think that way when you listen to shows like this? Like, how did this even come to me? Because sometimes, usually, well, sometimes usually it's I'm, obvious. It's like, I'm a reporter, I have a story, let's make it a podcast. This yeah. isn't that, right? Right, yeah, usually I'm like, how did this get to be a podcast? You know, when, I, <laughs> when I ask that question. <laughs> how did this become a podcast? I mean, he wrote a book, his memoir. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, That's how I think it came to be. Yeah. Okay, I didn't realize that. Uh, which could be some of the source material, but obviously he's going in a different direction where he's, you know, looking for this uh, erstwhile uh, figure. Can I ask you another question about that? Yeah. Because one of the things that I expected in this podcast to be super bored by, but was the complete opposite, Uh was the turn where I was like, we're just going to go into Billy's past and find more about him. And uh, he starts just sort of like finding out who he was as a kid and like calling childhood friends. And I'm like, oh, here we go. We're just going to hear from like a bunch of boring people. Uh That (laughs) he was a kid named William who like won piano competitions uh-huh. and grew up in like suburban New Jersey. And I found all of those guys on those phone calls to be like, I want to make a TV show with just those guys. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, this is what you're talking about, about finding interesting people and giving them voice and like not it wasn't yeah. boring. Like that should have been boring, right? Right. You know, one of IO's on on his resume for IO is that he was a co-host on the MTV show Catfish. <gasps> I didn't know that. Yeah. 
So if you think about it, yeah, that deals with people who say they're one thing or they aren't who they you think they are. So he knows. Hmm. He knows when you're going to get the good stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, this whole <laughs> Billy Balls thing is like that. Is this the person that. William Heitzman yeah, I mean, or whatever. Not an intentional. I'm. I'm. It's a false identity catfish kind of thing. But the idea of who are people that we think that they are, and what is an interesting person. And so I think that he's doing good bringing out. And I and I just you just hear like the conversations. He certainly uh, sounds like it's somebody that you want to gab with on the telephone. He kind of has that charisma. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't it wasn't Billy Balls. Hey, man, Romeo loves. <laughs> And then he'd do this weird thing, you know, you go shake his hand and he'd do that thing with the middle finger on your palm. <laughs> and you go, oh, and he'd give you that look like, hey, man. You'd be like, what? You know, it's like that. Unlike, you know, the guy from <laughs> To Live and Die in L.A., like, I just want to <laughs> hang up with you. Listen to me cry and then exploit yeah, me later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I was just thinking when I was listening to that part, too, is that these guys... They tell the story about the Billy they knew as a kid, William, Billy. And then we hear all these stories about him as a young adult wearing clown shoes, driving a hearse, pushing a giant piano down to CBGB's. Uh-huh. And all of it sounds not real. It all sounds like this cannot be the same person. It's some weird composite. And I think where some other podcasts might be trying to make like, uh, let me give you the real thing. We're never going to get the real thing. We're just getting lots of super interesting people's ghost-like impressions of a real thing. and. All of those impressions are fucking bananas. You mean it's more like a ballad? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, and that is like, another good title decision. But like, yeah. How many like people could you describe this way where it would be that many things? I mean, describe any of the four of us. Probably the person with the best backstory. Laura Bricker. Well, yeah, yeah Laura. She's the horse. <laughs> That's true. She's the horse stuff. She's got like the the pi. Yeah, the pi. She's yes. a yeah. actual pi. Yeah, yeah. She used to like do uh, kegs and eggs at college. Yeah. Kegs and eggs. Yeah, like, probably Laura. That was fun. Everyone knows from Yeah. All right. Well, should we do what we do? How about we do that? How about we do that? Uh, how about we tell our audience, thumbs up or thumbs down, should they listen to The Ballad of Billy Balls, the new podcast, the hit podcast, by the way, from Crime Town Presents. Toby Ball, I'm going to start with you because your last name is Ball, and this podcast has your last name in it. What do you think, Toby Ball? <laughs> I feel as I'm owed something. <laughs> <laughs> A little cut of the action. cut, 2%. <laughs> My lawyer will be talking. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I thought it was... It's not perfect. It does a couple of things that drive me insane. But for the most part, I I think it's good. What drives you insane, Toby? I'm sorry. I can't leave that hanging. What drives you insane? One thing. What's one of the things that drives you insane? Well, the thing that drives me the most insane is I think that the sort of New York talk works well when they're just sort of speaking off the cuff and, and going about doing things. I think when they try and write it into stuff that they read... Uh, I think yeah. that really sounds forced. Mm. You mean singing like a motherfucker? The one thing that I just like kind of groaned is like there's one point where Io says, you know, he was Billy Balls and she was his baby doll. Or something. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, come on! <laughs> you, know, you don't have to. You don't have to do that. But it, this is actually one where I would say if people after the first or second episode are like, oh, I don't know, I would say just stick with it. Because for me, I, I think the third episode, then especially the fourth episode, I thought was was super interesting. And I think it's one of the few things that we do that I'll probably actually 
keep up with just because we always have just such an onslaught of stuff we're, we're taking in right. that I usually, even things I like, I kind of like give up on. But I'll probably keep listening to this because I think the story is, is, is super interesting. Laura Bricker, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the Ballad of Billy Balls? I'm going to go thumbs up because this is definitely, I like the world building that goes on here. I mean, like I said, it really takes you inside a different time and a different place and really sets the scene. I mean, my only criticism, you know, I mentioned is just I felt like the first and second episode was just really long with Rebecca talking and it was a little too stream of consciousness a few times for me in terms of trying to follow what was going on. Um, so I kind of tuned out a little bit, but the story itself is really interesting. The music is interesting. The production is interesting. So I'm going to keep going just to see where this goes and see if we, you know, actually do solve some of this mystery other than via some of these sort of unreliable narrators who have theories. Same. I'm a big thumbs up for this podcast, and I'm surprised that I am because I was halfway through the first episode and I was like, I don't really get it what I'm listening to. That is my one big critique is the first two episodes should have been one only because and I know this is the spoiler free vert section. The twist at the end of episode two is so, so well done and so good and fun. And the other reason why I'm giving this a big thumbs up, frankly, and I do I've done this before in this show and who knows if I'll feel this way but the next thing that sounds just like this I might hate it I love when I hear something that doesn't sound like anything we have listened to before that is one of those things if you're interested in a fun journey true crime podcast that doesn't sound like anything you've ever heard before listen to the ballad of Billy Balls huge thumbs up for me for that reason what about you Kevin I'm also a thumbs up. I'm also like you, Rebecca. I was about three quarters of the way through episode one, and I'm like, oh, what did I tell everybody to do? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and, I, and again, I also agree that I think that uh, episodes one and two could have been a, one bigger episode and really get you going. But uh, it's a very interesting story. It is unlike anything else that is out there right now. I don't know whether or not we're going to, you know, quote unquote, solve the mystery here. Whenever they have a uh, like, here's a telephone number at the end, if you have any ideas, I'm always kind of like, uh, how much <laughs> did you, uh, how much did you pack in that knapsack, Cub Scout? You still uh, looking for tips? Still looking for tips? <laughs> I, wonder how, I wonder where this is going. But it doesn't quite matter because I think that this is very much like cereal. I think this is about the journey and not about the mystery. This seems more like this is IO's story and not Billy's story. Something that uh, makes it its saving grace. Yeah. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. week. Points to the New York Times for summing up a crime, a moral affront, poetic justice, and dark humor in this one headline. Quote, rhino poacher killed by elephants and eaten by lions. Pretty much says it all. (laughs) South African officials say the unlucky poacher was looking for rhino horns. Again, I have not seen this before. I cannot call a poacher unlucky. He put himself in that situation. It's his fault. Anyway... South African officials say the unlucky poacher was looking for rhino horns, which command tens of thousands of dollars on the black market. While on his hunt, the unnamed man was trampled by a herd of elephants. His four accomplices escaped and told his family his fate. When they returned to the park to retrieve his body, all they found were lion tracks, a pair of pants, and a human skull. What do you think happened? Officials issued what may be an understated warning, quote, entering Kruger National Park illegally and on foot is not wise. It holds many dangers. (laughs) And this incident is evidence of that. (laughs) So, panel, I think we can all agree without any debate that poaching an endangered species is unforgivable. So here's my question for you. Who is the real MVP here? The elephants or the lions? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I don't know. This is a really tough one. Um, I'm kind of wondering, I'm thinking of Toby and his UFO podcasts, and I'm wondering if perhaps this guy just got zapped up. But um, I don't know. Both both sides in this are pretty pretty awful. I mean, I'm going to go with the lions because they kind of just put him out of his misery. Mm. And it's like, he was already at that point, yeah, this is a horrible situation, but... I don't know. You don't want to see somebody linger there. So they just ate him up and got it done with. All right. So Toby, bad guy poacher, goes into a game park to kill one of the few remaining animals like its kind on the planet Earth. Gets trampled by elephants and then eaten by lions. Who is the real MVP here, Toby? The elephants or the lions? Yeah, so a I've got a I've got a pretty good game park story sometime for the after show. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, you're telling it. You're is telling this, it tonight. Is this on the like after the timber show. taking child? <laughs> no, this is much better. Much much better okay. than timber taking. If you're not a member of our Patreon, join right now because we're going to kick off this week's after show with Toby's <laughs> game park story. But Toby, my question for you is. Who is the real MVP here, the elephants or the lions? I was going to give it to the elephants at first, but then the detail about the lions like took away everything but just left his skull. And his pants. Is so awesome that <laughs> I have to give it to them. All right. Kevin, what do you think? Elephants or lions? Uh, elephants, you the real MVP, uh, only because not only did he, you know, the elephants stop the poaching. But for the benefit of the lions, they did tenderize that meat. Mm, it's true. Mm. <laughs> it's an yes. excellent point. 
And we should probably end it on that note. But before we do, I'm sorry. That is just ridiculous. Oh, my God. All I can think of is that hammer with the spikes. Oh, Laura Bricker. uh, Do we have a cat of the week this week? We have some animals of the week. And this week they are for our Broadway loving. No, they're I don't know. The picture is pigs, but it's not pigs. But this is for Patrick, our friend Patrick Hines, our Broadway-loving friend Patrick. And it's from Melanie Fordyce. She is nominating her daughter's ferret, Alexander Hamilton, for Cat of the Week. He made his world television debut on The Vet Life season premiere recently, along with her daughter and herself. And her rabbit, Aaron Fur is expected to be on later this season. Shut the hell so up! Check it out on Animal Planet. Aaron Fur is going global. I bet the vet life is one of Toby's favorite shows. It's just a guess, though. It's just like kitten rescuers. Oh my God, Laura Bricker! People want to reach out to you with their historically named cats, dogs, or other pets to be cat of the week on this little podcast. How can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And tell me, Bob, people want to reach out to you to make sure that you are tuning into all of that Animal Planet programming, which we know is your favorite. How can they find you online? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin P. Flynn, my real MVP. How can folks find you online? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow this little show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And you can join the amazing community who enjoys our Facebook live broadcasts before we tape the show each week on our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just look for that on Facebook. Support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get the Crime Writers on After Show right now. Plus, you'll get Married with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and uh, what do we call it? Leave it to Bricker, Laura Bricker's <laughs> formerly named Bricker Scale Charming AF Podcast. Maybe. It's pretty great. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where all of our friends hauled our white grand piano. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Squarespace. Oh my God, Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to. (gasps) Okay, you know we can hear you, right, Laura? Laura? Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and just hit mute? Sorry. Sorry. I was I was excited because one of our relatives works there. I was so excited. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll I'll mute myself. Hold on. All right. Doesn't it seem like Laura's on a delay? I don't know. There's something funky with the. Because I just muted myself because I'm trying so to behave. Yeah. But Laura, I'm, I'm gonna. I want you. I, I want you to repeat. I don't think it's either me. of you guys. Laura, I'm gonna say. I'm, I want you to repeat, repeat after me as quickly as you hear it. Okay. You ready? Okay. Okay. One, two, three. As quickly as I hear it? Yes. One, two, three. Yes. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Yes. <laughs> One, two, three. She's definitely on a delay. Is this like a drunk driving test? Like, no, I, what's what, going I, on? She says one, two, three. I literally want you to say one, two, three after I say it as quickly as you can, okay? After I finish, okay? Okay. One, two, three. Okay. One, two, three. She's, she's on a delay. <laughs> She's 100% on delay. That's what's causing okay. all of this. I'll, I'll, then how about this? Toby, can I do it with you? Can you count to five with me? I can try. Okay. <laughs> all right. Ready? And one, one two, two, three, 
three, four, four, five. Five. There's a delay. Yeah. And you every time you counted, it was on the same number we set it together? Absolutely. I was on, right on top of you. That's funny. <laughs> that's fucked up. Okay. We'll just have to know right, that. We have a slight delay, but that's, that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. But that explains, Laura, the reason I was a dick to you earlier was because oh. we were hearing, you were saying things at inappropriate times on our end. It wasn't you. Not inappropriate. Oh. It was just out of sync, <laughs> you, so it sounded you, inappropriate. To you, okay. to, so you were reacting to things <laughs> like, like, so Kevin was reading the ad, and then like he finished saying the thing, and then like two seconds later, you were like, yay. And we're like, what, what the fuck are you doing, Laura? <laughs> I was excited for Squarespace. Okay. Cousin Pete works there. It's very exciting. All right, you can bring in Cousin Pete later in the show. Okay, that's fine. No, that's okay. I don't, I don't need to do that. Okay, Kevin, cool. go ahead and read the pre-roll. Mystery solved. Mystery solved, all right. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay.